and welcome to the Doctor Who pod. My name is Sai. You may know me as at SJP Words on Twitter from the likes of Chain Wrestling, The Waiting Room, Quantum Leap Podcast, and so on. My co-host for this project, looking back through, well, I suppose close to 60 years of television now, is Mr. Dan Griffin. How are we doing, my friend? Not too bad, mate. More than happy to be the uh, the time-travelling TV side chick uh, through, <laughs> to, to Mr. Benny Mac. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into it. Um, and at least today's, uh, today's subject is something I've never seen before, but my word, what a ride. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the... I suppose kind of the loose idea, the loose point of what we're doing potentially with regards to what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be jumping back and forth through the years of Doctor Who. We're not sticking to uh, our first episode must be the first episode of the William Hartnell era and then we go through in order or anything like that. We're very much going to jump around back and forth, uh, but we'll get more to that in a moment before we do there's somebody i want to say a big special thank you to and that is uh, mr borna matosic and if I'm, if I'm butchering your name there sir i do apologize hugely uh for the awesome cover of the doctor who theme that we are using as our podcast theme uh, he's an incredibly talented guitarist songwriter composer and so on uh, does various different forms of music um incredibly brilliant well worth checking out uh, you can find him online on twitter at borna matosic b-o-r-n-a-m-a-t-o-s-i-c matosic yep uh, you can also find him on YouTube, which is well worth a look. There's loads of live videos of him playing various songs, including the theme to our podcast that we've used today. Uh, and also his website too, bornamatosic.com. So I really do implore people to go and check out this incredibly talented individual. And once again, as as I've said via messenger to, to the fella, thank you so, so much for allowing us to use your cover of the really kind of, I suppose, symbolic and historic Doctor Who theme. Yeah, massive thanks to Barna. Um, just, <laughs> we, I don't, would we have anything without him? <laughs> maybe? It might just be maybe me and you humming uh, like oh. a little bit or something, oh. I don't know. <laughs> I, could, I, could, I might have a kazoo lying around. Yeah, so we figure something. Like, we Obviously, this guy's got more talent in his little toe musically than me and you combined, I'm assuming. So it's, <laughs> but no, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant, in, and there's so many other covers he does uh, and original pieces and so on. So really go and, go and check out the, the, the fella's YouTube, his website, his Twitter, everything. It's really, really good stuff. It is brilliant. And again, thank you so, so much for giving us permission to use your cover of the Doctor Who theme for our show. So then... Our first, I suppose, proper episode after our introduction last week. Last week, we sort of ran through the idea behind the show, what Dan and I were going to be sort of sort of doing, the, the, the sort of idea behind what, what the plan was, I guess. In theory, the sort of classic Doctor Who era is, is what I'm going to be kind of looking after, I suppose, for the purpose of our first season. Dan is very much going to be head honcho when it comes to more new who i suppose for want of a better term and we're going to take it in turns just picking a story from old who new who back and forth back and forth no particular order or time frame etc and just sort of review it and and explore this crazy insane world of uh, of an individual who jumps back and forth through time in a little blue box down yeah keep it all a little bit loosey-goosey bit wibbly wobbly timey wimey 
Yes, uh, exactly. Get some of that goodness in. Exactly. I've been, so, I've, been, I've been sitting on that for so long because we've been waiting to record this for quite a while for various reasons. But yeah, uh, yeah, I'm glad to have got that one out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, just so everyone's aware, like, we thought the idea of this project sort of came around quite a way ago, quite a while ago. Uh, our introductory episode we recorded again a little while back. I mean, as we're sat here now recording our first proper episode, looking at a Doctor Who story, I can't really remember what was on the introductory episode because it was so long ago, Dan. But <laughs> thank, thank God it's not just me. <laughs> but uh, COVID struck me quite bad. It struck my family quite bad. And Christmas came along, and obviously people are working and so on. So there's been a few of internet issues. <laughs> Yes, yes, exactly. So, yeah, it's great to be able to actually sit down and start off with a Tom Baker tale we're going with as our first story to review. Um, One I put forward for you to have a look at, Dan, was Genesis of the Daleks from the... uh, Let me just quickly bring the data up, apologies. From 1975, it says here, first broadcast. Huh. Britbox so, may have lied to me. It possibly, possibly, or the internet site I'm looking at is lying to us. Either way, 74, 75. <laughs> um, my first memories of this serial is from being probably around nine, ten years old, and a friend of mine having it on VHS tape and us watching it around his. This is something you, you said before we pressed the little red button, Dan. You've never seen before. No, never. Um, I obviously knew Tom Baker was Doctor Who. I'm aware of the classic look. Um, but my first exposure to anything Tom Baker was his voiceovers on Little Britain, of all things. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So Quite I knew a... what he looked like, knew what he sounded like, but never actually. Uh, outside of um, the specials, like uh, the what was it, the, his brief cameo in The Five Doctors, mm-hmm. uh, never actually got my teeth in, into any Tom Baker. Yeah, I mean, you said, didn't you, previously, that when it comes to the, the sort of classic Who... It's the specials like the five doctors that you've seen everything else mm. will be very new to you as we do this project is that correct completely brand new first i'm, I'm going into this never seen any of it i know maybe a couple of rough bits story wise and you know what certain villains are and who certain companions are and, but i am pretty much going into this sight unseen yeah and i think a lot of it is going to be similar to me uh, sorry similar for me with regards to that because I may have seen a great deal of it before, but there's also there's also big patches that I've not seen. And there's also things I, I know I have seen, but I may not have seen for 30 years, or 25 to 30 years. So I'm having my memory jogged as well. But then when it comes to New Who, sort of 2005 onwards, Eccleston onwards, and so on, that you're going to very much be in control of for our podcast, there's big gaps in that as well that I've not seen since it aired. So that's going to be quite interesting for me going back and looking at newer stuff that, again, could be 15 odd years old, I guess, that, I've, mm-hmm. that I'm going to have no memories of, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely does. And the thing is, I went on a collecting spree of the DVDs. Going back to the first Eccleston series with New Who, I would buy them when they were like two for a tenner in Virgin or HMV or whatever, when it was just okay. two, epi- two episodes a disc, and I've still got them. I've still got I think I got right through to... Matt Smith's second season of having every right. single DVD. Um, but I used to watch those just ad nauseum. Get home at night after working retail, you're stinking, you're, you're sweaty. 
the first the first thing you do, go in, get a shower, sit on my bed, watch an episode of Doctor Who, just pick one, pick a DVD out at random, bob it in, Bob's your uncle. So that was like almost every night. So I've seen all so many of these episodes so many times that I, for the one that we'll come on to that we're looking at next week, I already had pages of notes mapped out in my head of points I wanted to hit. Okay. Because <laughs> I know the episode oh, far too well. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fascinating. Okay, that's brilliant. I mean, and that's again, that's going to be kind of the rough format of the show when we get to the end of the story that I put forward today. Dan is then going to nominate a doctor and a story from that doctor at the end of the episode for us to then look at again next week and we're going to bounce back and forth between old and new old and new and roughly halfway through our first season of 13 14 episodes ish we're gonna take a look at the doctor who movie which i've never seen and i know dan's got a big soft spot for yeah a lot of people will tell you that it's terrible um and you know what maybe objective looking at it objectively it is but i have far too much nostalgia <laughs> for that uh for that movie to uh to think that it's bad um it was it was my gateway into into Doctor Who, as it See, was. I'm, again, I'm 99% certain I've never seen it. It may be a case of <laughs> I, I put it on. It may be a case that I put it on and I go, oh, yeah, I remember this bit or I remember that bit. But I'm as sure as I can be sat here right now that I've never seen this. So that could be... If, 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 very, if, this doesn't, if this doesn't jog your memory, nothing will. Do you remember the soul snake going into the guy's mouth to stop him snoring? No. Yeah, you've never seen it. Okay. <laughs> 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 well there we go at least i i, I know i know <laughs> now i know it's something brand new for me brilliant stuff okay so then again we've mentioned it a few times in this first sort of few minutes of, of today's episode but this is going to be quite a light-hearted relaxed look I, i'm a big doctor who fan dan's a big doctor who fan but we're not the, the same level of sort of intensity as some people you find online some people you may find on i suppose the term is doctor who twitter potentially mm. we may make mistakes with names dates you know whatever and, and if that's the case and we offend you i apologize in advance however we're just two people who love watching the show who want to have a, to have a conversation about it really and i'm really looking forward to dan seeing things he's never seen before i'm looking forward to dan showing me things that i've not seen before or have completely forgotten about and, and that's basically kind of the whole gist of the conversation nothing too serious nothing too nothing too stressed eric i suppose about the whole that's a bit of a, a bit of a niche a reference, reference uh, a niche cartoon reference from back in the day if you don't know what that is look it up kids nothing too stressed eric about the whole thing very light-hearted look at a show that has brought us both as well as millions of other people some great enjoyment throughout our lives if you don't um, know who Stressed Eric is, you're probably too young to be listening to some of the filth I might come out with in the course of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I did have to beep a certain word from our introductory episode. I do remember that much. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I, may have had a, I may have had a can or two by that point. Yeah, potentially, <laughs> potentially. Okay. Um, so, Genesis of the Daleks, six-part story. Uh, I picked this one primarily because I wanted to start with a big hitter. This comes very very high in any sort of search online or any sort of previous magazine chart where the greatest doctor who stories of all time are ranked one way or another this always comes very very high if not top i suppose for some some charts or some lists it's got some very famous scenes and famous speeches it's got some very famous villains obviously with the daleks and then davros's first prop your first appearance in the show but a big concern for me dan 
not knowing you outside, I suppose, of wrestling, I guess. I mean, our, our relationship is very much based upon wrestling and wrestling alone until we started this project. A big concern for me was going back, watching this, and it coming across a little dated, potentially. What, what were your first thoughts when you pressed play and you saw the, the intro flag up, the effects, the music, and, and the whole start of the show in general? I actually love the intro. I've written it. It's the first thing I've written in my uh, in my notes. Love the intro. It was very short compared to Modern Who, but every iteration of that intro music, it, that intro music is good. And mm-hmm. I've already seen the classic Doctor Who logo, and that or that version of it, and I know I like it. And bringing up Tom Baker's face. So if you're coming into this for the first time, you know this guy is the man. Yes. You know he is the main character. Pay attention to what he does. Brilliant. It was... Yeah, it's it is a little bit of his time, but I really can't fault it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's something that's really important when you look back on these, I, I suppose, older TV shows in general. Not just Doctor Who, but obviously, I'm, I, I'm looking back on Quantum Leap with, with my waiting room podcast that I do with Benny, and there's also wrestling that we both look back on from previous years. I think you need to be able to accept limitations with regards to production and the timing and special effects and so on to these shows and try and look beyond those and concentrate just on the story itself i mean if you're if if you're uh, if your enjoyment of a tv show is restricted or took away because you see a, a a supposed brick wall wobble when a door shuts this may not be for you you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it, it's those things. I mean, you see it happen in theatre, but people still love the theatre. One of my favourite th- one of my favourite uh, things I've ever seen is the stage show of the Woman in Black, and it's just it's got a cast of three, and they have some props, and sometimes things go wrong, or the set moves or anything. It doesn't ruin your immersion, and it, it's very much the case in this. Yes, we're probably going to find stuff where the set does wobble or anything like that, but with a story like this that is so gripping in terms of and so sort of pivotal into in terms of the wider Doctor Who lore, if you like. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the attitude you, you need to have, don't you? It's, you know, because there are so many great stories there that, again, you need to sort of look beyond certain limitations to, to get to the story, to, to get the enjoyment out of it. Uh, this story here, though, we start off basically in, in what looks like a kind of a battleground or wasteland. The Doctor is just kind of wandering around this i mean it's basically being filmed in a quarry somewhere isn't it and he's just kind of wandering around this this stony wasteland and it's confronted by a time lord with their you know the, the standard wonderful glorious massive crazy collar <laughs> the, the, the time lord explains you you've got a mission that you have to accomplish for us stop the daleks being created or change how they think so to speak before they become an issue. So right back at, you know, as the title of the show dictates, the genesis of the Daleks. The TARDIS has been took away from him, and he's given this bloody horrible little bit of tat jewellery that is apparently a time ring bracelet that is going to... It's a disgusting copper bangle. (laughs) It is. It is. You know, it's a very dodgy piece of jewellery that you you may be finding in a car boot or something like that where, you know, your auntie's selling off some of her old crap or something. You know, it it doesn't look great. I was just thinking the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) I was just about to say it's something your great aunt keeps on the mantelpiece. Yeah, exactly. And, And this time ring is is the Doctor and his companion's way of getting back to his TARDIS, which has been, you know, took away from him for now to make him accomplish this this mission. 
Um, I have to say, though, before we go any further, the first thing this episode did, apart from the intro, uh, was scare me. Oh, okay. Because as I mentioned, I believe I mentioned in the sort of intro episode, I have a minor phobia of gas masks that was inspired by Doctor Who. Ah, and the first yes. thing you see is a gas mask, which yep. even if it's even if it's got the Hulk Hogan red and yellow, that well nowadays that just makes it more scary. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just looked at it. And I, just, I just oh god, a side give me an episode full of gas masks. No. <laughs> oh, that's it. Swarms of racist gas masks <laughs> cupping their ear to real American or real Gallifreyan or something like that, you know? <laughs> we're, we're Daleks, brother. We're going to take over the world, brother. <laughs> oh. Exterminate, brother. <laughs> you kind of get straight away the kind of... There's a lot of crossovers in this episode, I think, between sort of time periods because... Obviously, the Doctor has travelled to a point in time which, in theory, could be the past to a degree because it's the genesis of the Daleks, but at the same time, it's in the future as well. And there's all this the, the sort of technology going around. I mean, the, the, the Fowls and the Carleds are these two warring, uh, warring races that the Daleks kind of are built as part of... Uh, they're sort of war machines built by the Carleds to fight the Fowls, and that's kind of their genesis comes from that. But the Fowls are building a massive monster rocket, and there's all these big electric doors everywhere, and you've got all this technology. But then you look at some of the other characters or soldiers, and they're almost carrying guns that you'd have seen back in the 40s, and, and their gear is incredibly dated, and it kind of it kind of doesn't line up for me, if that makes sense, Dan. Yeah, it does, but they go. They do quite well in explaining it because the the points out um, Sarah Jane and Harry, the companions, point out the mix of technologies, and the Doctor's obviously clocked it as well. And they say, mm. "It's like the, the I believe the exact line is like a stone a Stone Age man with a transistor radio playing rock music." Right. <laughs> so, yes. so was, um, the, the Doctor and Harry uh, between them put uh, sort of piece that together, and then the, it's pointed out that it's a thousand year war and the civilizations yeah. on, the civilizations on the point of collapse. So they're essentially having to make do with what weaponry and armor and and whatever thing they can get on to, to have a tactical advantage. I mean, it's it's sort of doubly interesting because in much much later series we see a snippet of the uh, of the war on Scarrow when Davros was a very young boy. Yes. I don't want to say too much in case we cover that episode. But, no, no, no. Yeah, but yeah, carry on. But they have these things called hand mines. And it's literally hands that come out of the ground with like an eyeball in them that grab your ankle. Yes. And then when you try and move, I don't know if they drag you off or, or do whatever. So that was obviously gone from something like that, which is some sort of bioweapon, to then just doing whatever they can to survive and or, you know mm. attack each other. It weirdly lines up very well, considering the episodes were written and directed and produced decades apart, with no, with without each other in mind. It was really well re- sort of reverse engineered. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I, I suppose that the sort of whole the story of the Daleks, and I suppose that that ties in with that the, the war between the Fowls and the Carleds, and then ultimately the Time War itself, and so on. It is like a long-running theme, of course, across decades and decades and decades of the show. But you can go back to this whole foul Carled conflict right the way back in in like the second or the third story when the right. program started back in the sixties with William Hartnell. He's he's on Scarrow, and that's when 
you first see the Daleks it, and the Fowls and the Khaleds are at war and so on. So it's almost like he's the Doctor's revisiting a part of this, but arrived just beforehand from the William Hartnell era and so mm. on. And I love that whole intertwining of stories and throwbacks to, I suppose throwbacks is the wrong term, but it's like a throwback to certain episodes, but maybe a as daft as it sounds, a throw forward to other episodes, if that makes sense, with how how it all kind of intertwines. It, it's the sprinkling of the different iterations of the Doctor throughout the, throughout one period of history, mm. isn't it? So it, it, it's all based on Scarrow, but it's the Doctor's future, but the, the war on Scarrow's past. And it's interesting when you're looking at it, saying obviously William Hartnell's the first one there, the first because he's the first Doctor. Yeah, he knows what he knows there. How does that influence what Tom Baker did? How does that influence what um, I'm trying to think? Who else went to Scarrow? Now I know Peter Capaldi did. Don't think Matt Smith ever went to Scarrow. I wouldn't know. So again, that's that, that's more your department than myself. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but you know, I mean, you understand what I mean, though. It's that the sprinkling of the different variations of the Doctor at various points in the timeline. Mm. Every time he's back there, or he or she's back there, they have a, they have a different understanding of what's going on and how they can influence sort of the future from that point on for the Daleks and their own personal future. It, it's kind of mind bending if you, yeah. if you try and explain it with as little intelligence as I've, as I've currently got running in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I understand where you're coming from. Um, I mean, basically we're going to sort of briefly glance through the serial itself and, and just sort of see where the conversation takes us. But I mean, episode one, you're very much setting the scene, aren't you? you? You get the Time Lord explaining what the Doctor needs to do. The Doctor's companions turn up. Oh, actually, on that note of the companions, I suppose you wouldn't have been that familiar with, with Sarah Jane, and, and especially Harry either. What were your thoughts on, the, on those after seeing them in six episodes? I quite like Harry. I know I've, I am a bit more familiar with Sarah Jane because of her involvement with um, David Tennant mm-hmm. throughout yep. his, um, you know, in a few of his episodes. I really liked him. Yeah, they were good, Harry. I mean, oh, it was so tense when the Doctor stands on that landmine. Yes, I was going to get to that in that sort of, in in the wastelands, the sort of quarry area that we were just yeah. mentioning beforehand, wasn't but, it? But the, one of the first things Harry's doing, he's there to to help. He he mm-hmm. knows what he needs to do to fix it or to you yeah. know to, to neutralize the, the landmine, and it's just such a you know there's all these really tight close in shots and. Even now, you know, looking back at it, my heart was in my mouth. I'm like, obviously, I know the Doctor doesn't blow up in the first Suspense, episode, isn't it? It's the yeah. tension built, yeah. And and Sarah Jane, I was I was ready for Sarah Jane's involvement to be very much damsel in distress. Okay, but she wasn't. She was kick ass for quite a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, later on, in, later on in the serial, where she's you know orchestrating the breakout and yeah, and things like that, and and kind of just really just unafraid when she when she gets left uh, when they think uh, when they think she's dead and she's just left in the in the trenches she doesn't hesitate to go wandering off to try and get her bearings yeah i think i, I think i think i'd have curled, <laughs> curled into a field position and cried <laughs> oh underneath all the corpses and everything that was a that, that, that can't be pleasant can it and um, no. with regards to the whole landmine thing you get some brilliantly i suppose tongue-in-cheek dialogue there as well you basically get the doctor saying if I move my foot, it might detonate. And then Harry, quick as a flash, completely deadpan, just looks at the doctor and goes, "Well, then don't move your foot." Yeah, and it's just like <laughs> yeah. it's just like it was just so quick and so flat. I don't know why, but it really tickled me when when you heard that. You know, it was nice to 
to for them to speak to the doctor on a level, if you like. Yeah. Because in a lot of the new, a lot of the new who, especially, the doctor is the smartest person in the room, and they're not afraid of letting you know it. Yes. And there's always a, a bit of reverence and, and sort of deference to the doctor. In this one, Harry's just says, "You stood in landmine. Your foot will be, if you move your foot will detonate. Well, don't be stupid." You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's really pragmatic, and I like that. I mean, with regards to Harry, he. I mean, the, the actor himself, uh, Ian Martyr, he died quite young. He died He died in his early 40s. And he was linked with Doctor Who for, for a great chunk of his career, I suppose, for want of a better term. He mm. uh, he tried out for auditioned, I suppose, is the correct term, isn't it, in the acting world, for the role of Captain Yates in, in Doctor Who previously and was offered the part, but he already had, he already had another role he was doing, so I had to turn it down. Mm. Um, he was initially in... A, a story as just an extra just just sort of as, a, as a, a supporting role i guess before landing the role of harry but then harry was brought in primarily to or so so the myth goes or so the legend goes harry was brought in primarily to take part of to take control of sorry the more sort of action scenes or action moments with regards to the characters so he could he could be a bit mm. more energetic and, and fight scenes and so on thinking the doctor was going to be an older gentleman when Tom Baker was cast, that wasn't needed. So Harry kind of left fairly early because they thought they didn't really need two characters who could do that, which I thought was a bit of a shame. So himself went on to uh, write, write uh, audio books and was involved in, in that sort of side of things as well going forward. So Doctor Who was kind of very much a big part of his career, I guess, even though his character, Harry, was only around for a very limited time. Yeah, it's um, well. I suppose it, it goes back to one of the that old saying where the star that burns twice as bright, um, you know, lasts half as long. He, he, I suppose he, he was a good companion, or at least based on this, he was a, a good companion. But they just went a different direction. I mean, and it's yeah. kind of right. I mean, Tom Baker, the intensity that he brings to the role, and in particular just through his eyes. It, when the Doctor in later years is referred to, he could send armies running with a look. Mm or whatever it is River Song says about him, that that is Tom Baker. And I suppose you don't really need you don't really need that sort of backup unless you're in a situation like this when you're when you're in the middle of a war zone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but one um, thing that sorry, I don't mean to uh, jump yeah, on, no, you carry just, on. Carry just, on. Just coming on from this while we're still in the trenches, this raised actually made me think of something that winds me up about uh, New Who, okay. because when the poison gas grenade hits the trench. They think immediately to get the respirators and get the gas masks. Yeah. Which is fine. But something that's always bugged me is you rarely, if ever, see in modern who see them land on a planet where the air isn't breathable. Which mostly right. makes sense because why would the doctor go somewhere where his companions will die? Mm-hmm. But even when the TARDIS gets dragged off course or the, the follower signal, the TARDIS just decides we're going this way now. It's all it's by pure dumb luck that it's habitable. Yeah, and it's just been sort of a little nag that's been in the back of my mind for years. Yeah, that I never really, that I never really acknowledged until I saw them put on the respirators. Granted, if they're on a space station, they're going to have all the rest of it, and they cover some of it by saying, "Oh, well, the TARDIS has got an oxygen bubble around it." But come on, yeah, I know. It's, it's, again, I suppose, again, to coin a wrestling term, I suppose, is that suspension of disbelief, isn't it? There's certain things you have to sort of turn yeah. your eyes away from. But I know what you mean when it's that apparent over and over again. 
it becomes more difficult to to turn a blind eye to it, I guess. But like I say, you, you can't explain it because why would the doctor take them somewhere that they could die? Why would the TARDIS take them somewhere they heard, mm. where, where they could die? But surely at some point there has got to be a planet where they can save someone, but they need they need you know they need a respirator or a yeah. spacesuit or a gas mask, not yeah, just on a space station. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> Again, episode one, we kind of we're getting our scene set for us, aren't we? Guy Sinner from Hello Hello turns up, doesn't he? Yes, As... I've actually I've got a story about Guy Sinner. Um, okay, Sinner. Sorry, I said Sinner. Apologies. Yeah, please carry on. Uh, well, I, I know for a fact it's Sinner because uh, I I work in travel and one of my mates um, got sent on uh, uh, on what what's called a familiarisation trip. It's basically a freebie for one of the holidays, um, and he got sent on a, a cruise in uh, a cruise down the Jura in Portugal. And he walks into the bar on the first night, and in the corner is a, um, a gentleman playing piano. Okay. And he's looking at him thinking, I know that guy. Right. <laughs> Where do I know that guy? And it, well, he does know that guy, because that was Guy Siner. Just sat there playing the piano like he used to do in Allo Allo. Um, Brilliant. When he played Lieutenant Gruber. And yeah. you say that, you know, obviously say how well, so you can say how badly that character's aged over the years and whatever. But yeah, but Guy Siner, apparently, absolutely lovely bloke. Talked to Gav for loads of the night, a few drinks. Yeah, lovely chat by all accounts. Even ran, uh, Gav's, Gav's, uh, Gav's girlfriend's a big Hello Hello fan. And, uh, you know, he spoke to her on the phone and said hello and all of it. So, yeah. Amazing. Guy Siner, top bloke. Just had to oh. throw that out there. Uh, I, I, when we first see Guy Siner, he's there. So he's basically telling the doctor to empty his pockets. I got a kick out of this as well because of all the yes. nonsense the doctor is carrying around. It, obviously, the jelly baby has come out, but a yo yo and all sorts. Yeah. It was. It reminded me because obviously, you know, growing up in the nineties, I was a big fan of the Mask, uh, the movie with Jim Carrey. Yes. Okay. And some something very similar scene happens there where he's pulling out a rubber chicken and like and, you know <laughs> like the, the the wind up teeth and you know picture of the detective's wife and all of this. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> so, yeah, I've got a kick out of that. So long. I'll have to rewatch that. I, I bet that's still as funny as it was back in the day. You know. I hope so. I've not watched it in about ten years myself. I'll have to check it out, man. I'll have to check it out. We're seeing here though that the sort of car led armed forces i guess aren't we that the scientists and the military personnel that are referred to as the elite throughout the six parter story that we've got here and straight away we get we get very strong nazi vibes i feel yeah there's, there's a certain hand gesture that's quite nazi-esque the uniform it's, is quite nazi-esque the hand gesture is identical to how guy signer would go on to um would go on to heil hitler in allo allo Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was definitely there. It was yeah, very much the jackbooted thug mentality, wasn't it? But yeah. I mean, with with that though, the very because uh, I think Sinus' character was called Raven, which okay. ju- just made me think of uh, Phoenix Knights and DJ Raven. Um, but <laughs> it was bizarre to me coming from New Who to see the Doctor so swiftly and deftly grab the gun and throw it to Harry to stick up yeah. the guard. Yeah. Because the whole, one of the big things in New Who is the Doctor's aversion to weapons. Mm-hmm. Never carries a gun. That is one of the big things. So I was just like, what? You do tend to find, and, and you'll probably notice it as we sort of carry on with this project we're doing, Dan. You do tend to find that that, that, that does happen in classic Who as well. The Doctor is uh, <clears throat> maybe, maybe not as clearly 
anti-gun or anti-weapon, but it's definitely there. And there okay. are moments with certain companions and certain uh, certain instances in certain stories where that becomes very apparent. But then there are other occasions where what happens is is obvious because of how much it goes against that. For example, when Colin Baker is the Doctor, he's very much all action, violence, and, and so on. And it mm. kind of goes against what we saw with previous Doctors at times. Yeah. So it's very kind of flying by the seat of your pants, toying around with, I suppose, character uh, character traits, potentially. A bit more, yeah, so the, the Colin Baker's a bit more sort of swashbuckler, Cavalier, yeah, if you like. Oh, so. yeah, I think so. I mean, again, it wasn't Doctor for long, and there's there's big chunks of that I've not seen. I'm just going by what I have seen and also what I've read and other people's opinions and so on. But mm. you tend to see a bit more from. But then <laughs> the seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy, he's he's constantly chastising his companion Ace about her mm. use of certain weapons. Tom Baker with Leela, he, he's constantly telling her off about putting a knife on and to kill everything. Um, so <laughs> it, I suppose you do get those traits in there as well. Maybe it just depends upon the story and the situation. I'm not 100% sure, but I, I get where you're coming from, because in New Who, it is very much hammered home, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It is from, from day dot, really. I saw a scene recently just cropped up. I can't remember where I, where I saw it. It cropped up on something. And it was uh, Christopher Eccleston when he's given a choice, he's got this weapon set up to um, to fry the, some Daleks. And yeah. uh, the Dalek Emperor's there saying, uh, what are you, murder, what is it, conquer or coward or murder or coward or something like that. And he's, he's got it there ready to do this coward any day because it would wipe out half of Earth as well. So he couldn't even do it then. Yeah. He couldn't do an, another, another genocide sort of thing. Yeah, that's right. And, and again, with the sort of Nazi... Nazi vibes we get throughout this whole six-parter. There is terminology like that, isn't there? The Doctor does refer to part of his mission as a genocide. He also mm-hmm. uses the term a holocaust because he's yeah. going to wipe out, if, if he does carry out his task that the Time Lords have set him to effectively stop the Daleks becoming a force way, way before they are created and so on. Mm. it is a holocaust it is a genocide it is wiping out a whole race so i mean that's the sort of dilemma that keeps popping up throughout the dialogue throughout the episodes isn't it oh yeah the, the moral dilemma is huge and uh, I, I, it's just twigged in my head that we you know want to keep this light-hearted and have a fun chat and here we are talking about genocide <laughs> genocide and that's yeah. yeah oh what are we doing <laughs> <laughs> Uh, something that bothered, I'll tell you, you want to go back to being a bit more lighthearted. Something that bothered me a little bit when we had the first few episodes, and there's moments of Sarah Jane running through the the wasteland, the quarry, the, the war zone, and it's mm. very misty and very dark, and she's trying to hide from people. And then there's other occasions where she's running through other scenery, like the trenches and so on, which again is very dark, and she's trying to hide from people. She's wearing this bright, massive, sod-off yellow Mac that effectively <laughs> it might it might as well be a great big neon sign with an arrow pointing down to say, here I am, come and get me. And I'm just looking at it and I'm thinking, that's 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 ridiculous, what are you doing? You know? she, may, she may as well be holding up a row of ducks with targets on them, just... Yeah, they'd have been the same the practice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're oh. not gonna. All it takes is one, one sort of one flash of light, and that thing's gonna light up like Las Vegas. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, also, something I noticed watching this back, 
how often the doctor and his companions got captured during this six part series. Yeah. It seems like every episode they were captured by someone and then escaped and then were captured again. I mean, to me, if I was a time Lord and I was looking at this, I'd be thinking we've picked the wrong fella for this job. You know, (laughs) (laughs) if he's been captured that many times. (laughs) Is he pissing about? Yeah. What's he playing at? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We should have maybe gone for five or six. This one's not quite cutting it. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> What's the old fellow with the grey hair doing? Should we give him a ring? Is he about your... <laughs> That's what they um, One of the occasions when the Doctor is captured, and this is towards the end of episode one going into episode two, uh, he and Harry ask for a cup of tea, don't they? Because they've had quite a trying experience. And I got a kick out of that as well. I love that. Uh, and the, the commanding officer who, who's uh, sorry, the, the military individual who's, who's holding them, who's detaining them gets really cross that he's asked for a cup of tea and it just makes the doctor want a cup of tea more. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, it was brilliant. It, it shows that he's very much at ease, even though he's been captured. He's he, it's like, well, I kind of needed to be here anyway. Mm. So it's, it'll be fine. I'll think of something. It, it's that, it, it's that sort of blase streak that, that runs through the docks, even though you know his mind's working at a mile a minute in the background. And bear in mind, yeah. he's asked, I'm pretty sure he asked for a cup of tea. Was it was it after the NIDA had said um, that he's going to find out what's different about them, uh, if necessary, by autopsy? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And <laughs> I'm, I'm going to sort chilling. of, I'm going to take away the uh, the sort of lightheartedness now and go go back to the Nazi talk. But <laughs> with with Noida, did you notice his Iron Cross? Did you see this? Um, I maybe did at the time, but it's been a couple. Excuse me, it's been a couple of weeks since we, since I watched it. So yeah, it's it's only the first few episodes that he's wearing it. Um, uh, for some reason, later in the in the series, he's not wearing it anymore. It's it's, it's now missing from his costume. Did Apparently, someone realise? <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, but the actor who played Nider, the security commander, I think, or commander of security, whichever mm. way they worded it, he was very high up in the military, wasn't he, with with regards to Davros and so on. Apparently, it was his own piece of World War II memorabilia that he bought to the sets to wear. Ooh. Yeah, it's not a good look, is it? <laughs> uh, oh, what part of your brain goes, hey, guys, I've got something at home that will really make this uh, this costume pop. You won't believe what it is. It's a really cool piece of history. Mm-hmm. It's, an, it's an iron, it's a Nazi iron cross. Yeah, not a good look at all. Excuse the f- out of me. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, uh, effectively, uh, there's a lot going on in this, and, and Dan and I have, have said we're going to try and keep these episodes to around an hour, hour and a half, and so on, just to sort of, we don't, want, we don't want to sort of go on and on and on too much, I guess. But what I found watching this six-parter back, having watched numerous stories from Classic Who back whilst I was poorly with COVID, because let's be honest, I had nothing else to do, um, the... The six parters at times they always get one or two episodes that kind of they kind of drag. Like at one particular episode might drop right down and be incredibly slow or mm. or whatever. I don't. I didn't really get that with this story. How did you find it, Dan? Because I was in New Who now. Majority of stories are confined or, or contained within one episode or two episodes. This is a six parter. How did you find that? It's a six parter, but it went along at a fair clip. Because each episode's only twenty to thirty minutes. 
Yeah. yeah. Which is absolutely fine by me. I'm all for the... It, we said before, we're both wrestling fans. I'm a big fan of uh, NWA Power, and that's because it's an hour. It's an hour episode each week. I can just get in, bish, bash, bosh, they tell me the stories, and I'm done. This was a six-minute okay. six, episode, so really it's no it's no longer than a feature film. Mm-hmm. So I'm perfectly yeah, happy with sense. it. Absolutely perfectly happy with it. And this first part was, it was the setup episode, so there was a fair bit going on, a bit of manoeuvring to get people where they needed to be for the advancement of the story. Uh, yeah. That's not a criticism, by the way. It's just it's just a fact it needs to happen in any story. And I think it did an excellent job of, of just setting the stage. And you've got all the major players, or, or we think we've got all the major players, um, and the motivations. And we've got this far without even mentioning Davros, who comes in right at the end. But oh, we realise, yes, they are. Yeah, these guys are Nazis, but they're this guy who is becoming their sort of de facto leader. Mm-hmm. He's... He, he's just pure, pure evil, single-minded, focused, yeah, hyper-intelligent dictator in making. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, that, and, and very, very scary. <laughs> when we get to it, ultimately, that is kind of what what causes his comeuppance as well, isn't it? The fact that he is so single-minded, tunnel, that tunnel vision on what he's looking at and what the Daleks should be, these, these war machines he is creating what he wants them to be having no remorse, no feeling, no pity, no everything we know Daleks to be now Mm -hmm. as he's creating them and taking away that emotion and taking away the compassion, I guess, for one or better term that ends up being at the very end of the series or end of the serial, that ends up being what gives Davros his comeuppance, doesn't it? Because he's so intelligent and has so much, praise and he almost hero worship for, for getting mm. the Khaleds through this part of the war. He can't see the folly in his own actions. He can't, he never for one minute thinks that doing this and making the Daleks into these emotionless killing machines that are as single-minded as he is, he never thinks that will come back on him. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's it, it really of... is, it's, it's hoisted by his own petard. Yeah, it, it's, it's his, his own... It's mad because obviously, as you said, so perfectly done. The guy's the guy is incredibly intelligent. He's 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 a genius. He's also quite ignorant at the same time. Yeah, because he he assumes he's covered all the bases because that's mm. what he does. He doesn't make mistakes. There's a Nider at some point says Davros says there is no intelligent life on other planets. So either Davros is wrong or you are lying, and Davros yeah. is never wrong. Yeah, and that's that sets the tone, doesn't it? Very much so for how they view Davros right up until the end, really, when they kind of start questioning a little bit of, okay, this guy who we're saying is a genius, he, he looks like he's having a bit of a wobble here. Has he gone a bit mm. nuts? Or <laughs> you know? exactly? Yeah, they've, they've got this the the start the the start of the serial being like, oh yeah, Davros. It's like. Like the stories about Kim Jong Il and Kim Jong Un from North Korea, you know, the first time they played golf, they hit a perfect round of, you know, they hit a hole in one every hole, mm. and all the rest of it, and you know how great is our dear leader? And then by the end of it, they're just, oh, okay, yeah, uh, no. okay, we've made a bit of a mistake. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, we're, we're not saying in any way, shape, or form that Davros would be good at golf. That's not quite what we're trying to get at. But it's, <laughs> I mean, it'd, it'd be it'd be good driving around holes at all. Yeah, I suppose he could tow the little golf cart, couldn't he? Yeah, he'd be a good caddy. There you go. I'll get the golf clubs in the back of back of the chair. Yeah, look at that. Or you know how Happy Gilmore plays golf, where he runs up to it and clubs it. <laughs> Davros could, in theory, do that with one arm, couldn't he? 
it ju- he needs to soup up that chair. He needs to soup up that sort of like that Dalek backside that he's got going on. The Dalek backside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's got he's got his Dalek tank ass and his Carlet Carlet upper half. Yeah, that's he's right. Got, yeah, he, but it's uh, he needs something doing with those nails, though, mate. That was grim. Yeah, that I think in, in later series that's um, it's actually um, a glove. It's like a metal yeah, glove okay. that he replaces, and he conducts. Um, he can like basically fire electricity out of it. Right. Uh, so, so they changed that around as well because yeah, that was that was like one horrible like just lanky gnarly hand, wasn't it? Yeah, it was grim. It was grim. You know, he obviously did not spend time moisturising when he was younger. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, basically, get, getting back to the rough story of of the tale here of Genesis of the Daleks. We have the we have the Carheads, we have the Fowls. They're at war. It's getting to a point where the Fowls think they are going to end the war with this bloody great almighty rocket with certain materials in in the cone of the rocket, and it's going to destroy the Carheads once and for all. They're putting all their hopes and expectations and and wishes upon this one giant rocket. Uh, the Carleds are protected by a big dome. Their yep. laboratories and military and offices and so on are all under this big dome that is supposedly impenetrable. <laughs> we get people second-guessing Davros a little bit here as he's introducing the Daleks and saying this is going to be the next phase of our our race. We're going to develop into this. The... <sighs> The Carleds, uh, as me and Dan mentioned, are starting to second-guess Davros as the episodes pass by and are starting to think, okay, this guy's going a bit crazy. We need to stop him here. Um, under the guidance of the Doctor, it's being pointed out that he is being a bit crazy. And we have, is it Ronson? Was that the guy's name? The yep. one scientist who was very helpful to the Doctor, really, you know, really assisting the Doctor and Harry in getting away from certain situations and so on. Davros then shows again the evil side to him because he jumps across and decides I'm going to have a meeting with the Fowls then. If the Carleds are turning their back on me, I'm going to go and see our mortal enemies for the last a thousand years and see if I, see if I can you know jump in bed with them. I guess it's that single mindedness again because the, Davros's whole thing has been the survival of the Carleds within the Daleks. He wants to genetically alter them. The Carleds are all on board with this genetic alteration. The, the Dalek. Um, Shell, if you like, was initially designed as a, a transport module. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. that they, so they could live in there and move around safely and and all the rest of it. But Davros had taken it step further. Well, if I'm making this big armored thing, I may as well put weapons on it as well. Mm. May as well make it a tank. And he is determined that the Daleks are the ever, next evolution of the Carleds, and they will be the only the the dominant life form in the universe. Yeah. So naturally, literally by wiping everybody else out, isn't it? He literally yeah. says that, doesn't he? He will happily destroy two races so that the, his creations can live. Yeah. And that is yeah. just terrifyingly insane. Yeah, exactly. And again, that's when we come to the sort of darker side of this with regards to talking of genocide and, and Holocaust, which are words that are thrown up in the episode. And the similarities between the... The, the Daleks and the way they're behaving. And I'm not just talking about the Carled uniforms and hand gestures. Mm. It does come across very much like we are the superior beings in a very sort of Nazi way, doesn't it? It's very much written in yeah. that form. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, they are being, they call themselves the elite. Yes, exactly. You know, they're setting themselves up on a pedestal. They believe they have the, they believe they have the deity given right to Scarrow, mm. and the Thals are, are automatically inferior. And Davros, at his heart, is a psychopathic eugenicist. <laughs> who's, yeah. He is. Yeah, <laughs> In the, yeah you're right. You're right. It's so yeah. It's very much they are trying to create a, a master race and. And everything, everything else be damned. Yeah, exactly. I mean, before we sort of progress on here and get to the end of the tale and some of the fantastic speeches and fantastic interactions the Doctor has mm. with, uh, with with Davros himself, and then I suppose he's next to Sarah Jane. The famous speech that everyone knows of this episode, but he's very much debating with himself, I guess, with regards to whether he should touch the wires and and clear the the mutant Daleks. We have a few other moments that sort of stand out to me for good or bad reasons. Harry gets stuck in a shell. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the, um, the clamshell creature. Yeah. Um, and that, I don't, I, I don't get that. <laughs> well, it's because the cave they were in was populated by Davros's failed creations. Yeah. Okay. So the clamshell creatures themselves have failed Davros experiments. So if they were then bred with the idea that they were just going to be weapons or, you know, bioweapons or whatever, then they're going to be aggressive. Why Davros thought a living clam would be a good idea. Yeah. So not a little, well, yeah. But obviously clams are living, but giant clams that clamp on your leg. Mm. The, the doctor can beat, you'd beat away with a styrofoam rock. Yeah. <laughs> It yeah, is. just sort of like, yeah. It 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 didn't come across well. That's one of those moments where I think you really do need to be able to see past certain things to enjoy it, the story. It gave Harry a great line though. Okay. Why is it? Why is it always me that puts his foot in it? <laughs> <laughs> That's just, so bad. It's brilliant. Yeah, but just before about that, because this is around about the start of uh, episode three of Genesis. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, Sarah Jane had been captured and taken to basically do prison labour in the in the Thal camp and load these uh, radioactive rods into the uh, into the rocket. Yeah, they're, the f- they're basically building the uh, that, that sort of um, explosive material we discussed, aren't they? That's going into the nose of yeah, the rocket. It, it, yeah, it's, it's, the, yeah. it's the payload, yeah. yeah and yeah. The, um, the guard, uh, the, the start climbing over the rocket in a, in a, like a jailbreak attempt, and they get to the top... The guards catch up with Sarah and this uh, the, one of the mutant guys. I can't remember his name now. I've got it written down somewhere. She doesn't move. He goes over to get her and kicks her feet out from under her and he's holding yeah. her over the top of this giant rocket that look, looks hundreds of feet tall. And he says, they say people who fall from great heights are dead before they hit the ground. I don't yeah. believe that. And then decides to pull her back up. That was dark. Yeah, that was sinister. Yeah, that, yeah. That was the. But it also as well. Sorry, go also, on. It's just saying it also shows that the Thals can be as brutal and ruthless mm. as the Khalids because they are. Let's not forget they are also plotting genocide. Yeah, they're at war. Yeah, and this rocket yeah. is going to wipe everybody out. That's you know. Uh, there was another moment with regards to that scaffolding and, and the climbing of the rocket and so on when they're escaping. That I, I think it's a Khaled soldier who's a prisoner with them. 
Mm. Um, they're getting shot at as they're climbing the, the scaffolding, trying to escape over the top of the rocket. And he climbs up and he's basically grabbing hold of Sarah, trying to help her up. And then completely out of the blue, there's a gunshot. His head flies back and he falls. That yeah. that made uh, that made me jump. I literally sat there and went, "Oh my god," because it was just such a dramatic. Because it's right in front of her face, and it, it was, there's this, this this bang, and the body reacts, and that's that. It comes out of nowhere, doesn't it? Yeah, all it was missing was a bit of blood splatter to be yeah completely like. I mean, even it's, it's shocking enough in Doctor Who to see somebody get shot in the head, isn't it? Really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You don't need the blood splatter. Yeah, it definitely, definitely took me aback. It really did. Um, yeah, again, very but, dark, Dan. Yeah, and I'm kind of all for it because I thought it was going to be a bit more Saturday afternoon, you know, mm. or Saturday morning than this, you know, just sort of lighthearted and whatnot. Yet we've spent a ridiculous amount of time talking about Nazis and headshots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Again, we sort of come towards the end of, of the this, of this series in general, and Davros has given the, the fouls a formula, a solution of some kind where he can, if fired upon the, the dome, it mm. will weaken the dome. So when they fire this big rocket, it will wipe out the car leads. So he's helping another race effectively eradicate his own race. So again, showing just how single-minded and evil this bastard is. At the same time, Davros is preparing Daleks to effectively wipe out the fouls and the car leads, so he's left on his own. He's kind of, I mean, to be fair to him, as evil as the bastard is, he, he's got a lot of plates in the air. He's, he's spinning three <laughs> or four plans at once. You know, he's, he's he's a good multitasker, to be fair to Davros. It's it, it's a hell of a triple cross. Yeah. Because um, I think at one point he's uh, uh, he's going to get investigated. Uh, Mogran, I think it's before he goes to the fouls, Mogran says, you know, I'm going to, we're going to investigate you. You're going to get your thing shut down. Um, and Davros is there saying he plans to stop the investigation. There's full-on close-up of Davros's face, mm-hmm. which is still creepy. Yeah, definitely. And he's saying the investigation signed the death warrant of the Khaled people. Only the elite and the Daleks will go on. Neither question, neither the guy wearing the Iron Cross questions if Davros would really go that far. And Davros just says, did you ever doubt it? <laughs> yeah, just really calmly, very much like matter of fact. Yeah, I will. So, <laughs> but even then, when they come out of when they come out of the um, when they come out of the uh, the meeting with the Thals, neither asks him, "Do you think they believed you?" And he says, "It's not important. They're hungry for victory, and they'll use the formula and fire their rocket regardless of my of my motives." And yeah. then when they do, it's just it's really Davros's character. Davros's part is so well written and well delivered. Yeah, that's right. I mean. Something else that we get from Davros as well. He's got the doctor. Well, the doctor's captured again, again. The doctor's, <laughs> um, <laughs> and Sarah and Harry are basically being tortured mm. so that the doctor will give Davros secrets, I guess, or explain how the Daleks have been defeated in the future. We- weaknesses, yeah. I guess, there are weaknesses that come to light in the future in certain battles that Davros may not have thought of at the time was creating the Dalek race. The Doctor doesn't want to give this information across because obviously he's screwing people in the future. Yeah. But with Harry and Sarah Jane being tortured, he gives in and does start giving this information. When Davros decides, and this is, I suppose, the, the occasions where you almost do see a little bit more of a humane side to Davros, he he, he stops the the interrogation effectively to allow them to have a break which i thought 
it's kind of against the Davros character to, to, to think that way. Mm. But then he asks the doctor to sit and stay with him so they can just have a conversation, not captor and prisoner, but scientist to scientist. And he mm. almost wants to pick the doctor's brains from an intellectual standpoint. And I think that adds almost an extra scary trait to his character that he does show this ever such slight weakening and then reverts straight back to being an arsehole. I think it's because Davros respects intelligence. Mm. The doctor has the knowledge that he wants. He is willing to try and use a softer touch to get it. It came across to me more as another level of manipulation, but also he was, he was just, he was still being an evil, vindictive, manipulative bastard for lack of a better term. Yeah. But, he was doing it. He was taking the soft touch approach. He was trying to appeal to the doctor's sort of sense of decency, if you like, in in a very odd way. You know, he's like he's trying to assure the doctor that he respects his he respects his intellect. Mm. He feels yeah, like he might have found somebody who's close to an intellectual equal, because he wouldn't do that for any of the others, any of the characters mm. in this show so far. But the and doctor he's is surrounded by. He's supposedly surrounded by incredibly intelligent scientists, isn't he? He's supposedly surrounded by the best around that he can get. But he's still better than them. Yeah. yeah exactly. Again, they're, 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 really... they're, these ones, the, when you've got the elite kissing your backside, telling you the best thing since sliced bread or whatever, you immediately get that superiority complex when somebody else comes along who has knowledge from times and places you've never even comprehended and that you thought were impossible. Mm. It would lead to him breaking character slightly to try and get what he wants. Yeah. No, that's, that's or maybe, really or maybe I'm overthinking it. <laughs> no, no, that makes, that makes complete sense. No, that's really, that's really good. Yeah, exactly. Um, something that I suppose does need touching back upon. And I suppose it does show how easy it is for me to forget about this in the fact that we're nearly an hour in and I've forgotten about it. Um, that bloody time ring. The doctor lost it a couple of times, um, or it gets mentioned yeah. that we, we, we need the time ring to we need the time ring to get out. Sarah Jane says, Harry says, Doctor says. Every time the time ring is brought up, I literally sat there and went, "Oh yeah, I can't believe it existed." <laughs> yeah, it, it was a weird thing because it's like if you're out, if you're on a night out, you never forget how you're getting home. Mm. Well, you might forget how you get home. But you know you've got to get there, you know, either walking or in a taxi eventually. And yet they're just so blasé about where's this thing that gets us out of here once we're done. It, it yeah. gets fair enough. It gets confiscated as part of the one, part of, you know, as part of one of the times they're captured. Then they get it back. Then the doctor just wears it so loosely it falls off during a scuffle. Oh yeah, that yeah, he drops it, doesn't he, when they're scaffolding? And he doesn't notice. And then when they when he when he goes to look at the t- where it is, he's like, "Oh, that's not there. I must have dropped it whilst we were having this this fight with the guard." So they walk back down the corridor, and he goes, "Oh, here it is." And that's convenient. That. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like when you're looking for your keys or your, or your phone, or and you sit your hand down the side of the cushion, and oh, there it is. It was, but this yeah. is like this isn't just you've lost your phone or your keys or or whatever. This is their way of getting out of where they are. This is quite an important bit of kit, and it was treated so very much almost secondary in anything else that's going on. Yeah. It was, it was dismissed almost. Yeah. Until to the point where until, I forgot about it. <laughs> it, yeah, it, 
it felt like it felt like something that the writers didn't really care about until they're just like, oh, we should probably put something in about that, shouldn't we? Mm. But yeah, I mean, I suppose it's not. It's a bit of a nitpick, but it's not the not the worst thing in the world. No, no, no. I mean, I can bring up a couple of things now as we're again we're heading towards very much the end of the end of the episode. Um, switches and buttons that don't need to exist, Dan. You know what I'm going to get at here? Um, at, one, at one stage, the Doctor is forcing Davros to order the destruction of the incubator where the mutants are that are going to grow into the Daleks and so yes. on. Um, Davros has a switch on his control panel that turns off all of his life supports and he will be dead within 30 seconds. The Doctor's using this to blackmail Davros into giving this order. Um, why, why would that switch even exist? Why would you have that? Makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. It, 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 again, it's. <laughs> <laughs> Let me try and reverse engineer this. Davros has got that switch because he is arrogant and thinks that nobody ever, nobody will ever be able to get close enough to him to use it. So he's put that on there as a bit of a middle finger to the other people in the room. I see. It's, it's okay. like, you, so it's like taunting this, this, them from afar. This is, this is how you kill me, but you'll never get to me. Right, you'll never get me because I'll fight you off with my one weird naily green arm, <laughs> and his, my golf and his army, arm, and his army of murder robots. Oh yeah, there is that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> his army of murder robots. Yeah, probably a stronger self defense than his you, arm. You say that with the life support thing. The doctor turned it off. The doctor mm-hmm. got to the switch. So I'm just like, yeah. he was willing to kill, and that again, going back to the whole not carrying a weapon thing. That was fairly jarring, but I suppose again, he knows the atrocities Davros will commit and will go on to commit. It's it's that whole yeah. thing where you like people say, "Oh, I'll travel, I'll travel back in time and kill Hitler," you know, to when he was a child. Like, Could you really kill a child though? I know, uh, I know, Davros, I know, Davros, I know, Davros isn't a child. <laughs> He's far from yeah. it. But just before this, it, there was one of those great speech, uh, great sort of back and forths. Davros is sort of thanks to the doctor for the information after he's been uh, after he's been torturing him and having a chat and whatnot. Doctor says he's betrayed the future, truly implores Davros to stop. Davros refuses to stop as the the workshops are all fully automated. So it's not the machines, it's the minds within. The minds you created, they are totally evil. And Davros says, evil? No, not except that they are conditioned to survive. They can only survive by becoming the dominant species. When all other species are suppressed and Daleks are supreme rulers of the universe, then we will have peace. Wars will end. They are not the power of evil, but good. And that is a terrifyingly succinct summation of the fascist mindset. Yeah, yeah, spot on, Dan. Spot on. It's, oh, it's, it's chilling. Oh, but it's even worse when you see it going from A to B to C to, to see how we got there. Because I, I don't know about you, but I can sort of, I can, I've got this ability to sort of see the other side and say, well, that's okay. That's how you've, that's how you've got there logically. But yeah. Jesus, that logic is. And it's scary because I think it's scary because it's not just a bad guy being a bad guy for bad guy's sake or being evil for evil's sake, I guess. Mm. With that speech, it comes across like he genuinely thinks he's doing the right thing, but has to do yeah. it in an evil way to accomplish the final goal, so to speak. Mm. And that's yeah. that's even more scary to me. Yeah, when people are committing atrocities and convinced that they're the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So uh, yeah, it, it's really difficult to put into words just how yeah. atrocious that is. Um, there's a switch later on that is also labelled total destruction. Is that really necessary? Would you, if you'd spent all this time building these these wonderful machines and this incubator unit and all this, would you have a big red button labelled total destruction on it? Yes, for two reasons. Okay. One, the, exper- the experiment can go wrong. You are creating creatures that could be, you know, that could be... De- this is going to sound awful, but there could be defects that you don't want in the creature. And knowing Davros being the perfectionist, he is. Oh, yeah. Not hesitate to say, right, that's that batch knackered. Big red button. <laughs> let's you say, let, let's like, the... you say, like, someone who's making some home brew and they've done it wrong, and the ale yeah. tastes off as, oh, that's that batch knackered. Lob it out in the driveway. <laughs> that, is that not how Davros would treat his creation? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're spot and then on. also, it's a big red button labeled "Total Destruction." How cool is that? Yeah, fair point. <laughs> fair point. Sounds like the button you want to. Sounds like the button you want to press and just get some absolutely shredding guitar solo going, oh. like some like some stuff out of Dragon Force or something. <laughs> oh man! I mean, before we get to the the total destruction button, we do have the moment at I suppose very very early on in the final episode that. This this whole this whole story is is most famous for I guess, mm. and it's the yeah. the incubators are, are wired of explosives now. Harry and Sarah Jane and the Doctor have wired them with explosives. The Doctor has two cables that very much like a science experiment you do in Year Seven. If you touch them together, the light bulb goes off. That kind of effort. But on this occasion, he's not lighting a light bulb or sounding a buzzer. Surrounded by his his eleven year old friends, he's about to wipe out a whole race of of Daleks or Carleds or whatever. And we get engineered, the f- engineered murder psychos. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but we get the famous, do I have the right speech from the doctor? Yeah. And he even says, you briefly referenced it earlier, Dan, but he even says about, uh, okay, they go on to cause all this destruction, this evil and so on. And, and millions and millions of lives are made miserable because of, because of what they are and, and what they become. But if you, knew killing a child would stop this evil virus breaking out and if you knew killing a child would stop millions of people dying in the future would you be able to kill that child that's a blatant reference to hitler isn't it i took i took that as an obvious reference to hitler the way that was written have i misunderstood that or no but i took exactly the same i mean i've i won't go through the whole thing but i i went actually paused and transcribed the whole speech (laughs) okay I'll because, probably play some of it uh, at some yeah. stage on the show as well. Well, I, I ended up doing nearly seven and a half thousand words on this on this six part, just in my notes. Okay, um, but yeah, he says if someone pointed out a child, uh, pointed out a child to you and told you that child would grow up to be a ruthless dictator, destroy millions of lives, could you then kill that child? And Sarah Jane responds with, "We're talking about the Daleks, the most evil creatures ever invented." And yeah. then the doctor delivers a line, do I have the right to touch one wire to the other? And that's it. The Daleks cease to exist. Hundreds of millions of people can live without fear. Thousands of mm-hmm. generations can know peace and never know the word Dalek. And then, then the moral dilemma, because if I kill, wipe out a whole intelligent life form, then I become like them. And Sarah Jane comes back with, think of the future suffering if you don't do it. It's an, It was a really great sort of, 
microcosm of the morality of the situation. Nothing is black and white. There is no easy decision. Because even mentioned it at, the, at the whole start of the speech, things could be better with the Daleks. Future worlds will become allies because of their fear of the Daleks. Mm. It's, it's it's phenomenal. It's <laughs> in, in, Tom, in Tom's in Tom's Tom Baker's voice as well. Is it's really powerful, just, isn't it? I mean, and, and it's it, it shows, I think, how how well written and well acted, and just how all around well done this scene is. Because mm. let's let's break it back to what it is. It's an alien with daft curly hair and big teeth and a stupid long scarf, <laughs> holding two piece, holding holding two two pieces of wire, talking about wiping out a race of funny little wheelie guys with plungers on the front <laughs> but they somehow make it about it's just really really powerful about right and wrong and all the mm. different the different layers to that decision because obviously they're talking about wiping out the daleks and the doctor touching the wires together does he have the right however the obvious comparisons to wars and genocides uh, and horrific actions by certain people in in real life in the past whether it is regards to the nazis or, or elsewhere the, the similarities between the two the comparisons between the two situations are obviously what makes it such a powerful piece of television for me mm. it's and it's, it's kind of yes the initial thought is nazis because that's the most fit, the most infamous yeah. sort of genocide that there is but there is, it, it just holds so much more weight when you think of all the lives lost in... I'm going to get this wrong and it's going to annoy me, but I believe it's the uh, uh, the, the, the Uyghur Muslim population in China. Okay, yeah. Who have been, who have been persecuted and... and <laughs> I don't want to get too political with it, but essentially have been persecuted no, 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 and murdered. No, um, and that was going on in the modern day. And it got very, it got very little press coverage mm. because it's because it happened in China and everything's to a degree secretive over there. But at the same time, when you hear the reports coming out of these places where these poor people live, or you think of some of the sort of the, the violence and it's not on the same level as a genocide by any means, but the uh, the partition of India. Um, mm-hmm. In the in the fifties, when uh, India was splitting into into India as we know it now and Pakistan, and people being persecuted, I can't, I can't remember again hundred percent. So apologies if I get it wrong, anybody. But uh, again, a lot of that was was around religion. Yeah, I don't want to go into too much into it because I don't know enough about it. I've not gotten the knowledge to handle. Yeah, of course, yeah. But it just when you when you sort of see these things that happen throughout the decades and throughout the centuries. It really, like I said, it's just an incredible microcosm of that mindset and that morality. Yeah, it's it's such a power. Again, I, I'm going to end up repeating myself here, and I apologise, but it is such a powerful piece of television because of the similar a lot of the similarities to real life moments. That you, again, some of those ones that you brilliantly articulated and put forward there, Dan. You know, it's it's just incredible that the, a sci-fi words- show with wibbly-wobbly walls can make you feel that way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the word, the word I was looking for is gravitas. Ah, yeah. It has a, re- has a real gravitas to it, and, and that is very prevalent in You Who, um, mm-hmm. as, we'll get, as we'll get to in next week's episode. 
there is a speech in that that is very much along the same lines. But when you go even further ahead and you see some of the speeches that um, David Tennant and Matt Smith gave, and one of the best is Peter Capaldi. Yeah, Capaldi. Where, I, really enjoyed. I don't know which Capaldi episode I'm picking yet, but I'm just going to reference it quickly anyway. It's okay. the, uh, the, Z- the Zygon two-parter where the Zygons have been living in, you know, hiding in plain sight on Earth and there's an uneasy truce and it's all going to pot. And then by the end of it, he's got both sides around the table. Yes. Oh, yes, I remember this. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, it gives a great, it's a monologue about the follies of war and how it always ends up with people stood around a table talking Mm -hmm. and saying something like, um, what was it? Um, Saying, no, we, we, you know, we won't, we won't, we won't surrender. We won't give up. It's like, that's just another word for changing your mind. Yeah. And so it's, it's a great monologue. Um, watch it if you haven't. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I, well, I say the same for this. I say the same for uh, the, the, the doctor's speech here at the beginning of episode six, when he has the opportunity to wipe out the Daleks before they've even become really the Daleks. I'm going to, I'm going to attach on the end of the episode. So hang around if you want to hear that after the brilliant music plays a site, um, hang around, I'm going to attach it on the end there, because it is a fantastic speech. But you almost need to watch the the, the whole the whole six-part serial to appreciate the speech in itself. But even even just listening to it as a one-off, I think people can, can get the point we're trying to make there, Dan, to be fair. Um, looking at it then, as now we are at the end, I guess, of, of the show, it's it's got to a stage where Davros has turned on everybody. Everyone's turned on Davros. The shit has truly hit the fan. <laughs> um, <laughs> In a Dalek, big, big way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the Doctor has, has not touched the wires together. Spoiler alert, I do apologise, but the show is, you know, pushing 50 years old. If you don't know the answer, there you go. But um, <laughs> he, does, he doesn't touch the wires together because just at that, that crucial moment, somebody runs around the corner and goes, oh, don't worry about that. We're having a meeting in the room next door. We can sort it out there instead. And that's that. So, <laughs> <laughs> and we've um, not even we've not even touched on um, the Doctor setting up um, Betan with the uh, with the Thal incursion to to set up the uh, to set up the bombs to <laughs> to do at the front you know to do at the front gates and all the rest oh, of it. There was a yes, whole side story there, and the uh, and Sarah the whole side story with Sarah Jane and uh, was it Severin the uh, the mutant. Mm-hmm. Um, there is so much crammed into this episode. And there are so many characters and it sounds strange because with a lot of classic who again, I suppose I'll come back to quantum leap. You get the couple of main characters that are jumping around in time and space and so on. Mm. And everyone else is new pretty much every, every episode. Now in classic who there's a lot of characters that are interchangeable. There's a lot of characters that come and go that don't really stick in the memory. This six-parter here has a lot of characters. I mean, you've got the Fowls, the Carleds, the Mutos, uh, the military guys, the scientists. You've got so many things going on. People double-crossing each other, left, right, and centre. But nobody kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Everyone is still kind of memorable and important to the story. And I think that shows how brilliantly written this is. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, there are characters, in, particularly in later series, uh, characters and even companions that just fade into nothing because mm. they're so they're so blandly written it's it's not it's no fault of the actors or anything like that but it's just not very not very i'm thinking of i'm thinking of ryan specifically he was just such a nothing character yeah um they tried to give him a bit but 
it just wasn't very good. But this, yeah, everybody's everybody's there. Everybody's given. It's, it's very much show don't tell. You can tell by the actions mm. and even the body language. It's all conveyed like this is this person's deal. This is why you should pay attention to them. Yeah, here's where yeah. they're coming late. You know, here's where they're coming later on. The, you know, the change of heart with Ronson. Um, you know, and his. You know, trying to. We didn't even mention that about the whole uprising thing. Yeah, exactly. And, There's so much going on. You can't. <laughs> can't I mean, I've got notes after notes after note here. But for us to go into it properly and really sort of break it down and talk about it, this podcast would be three hours long. <laughs> yeah, it'd, it'd be like me and Rob trying to cover a uh, cover a forty five minute episode on UTT. <laughs> <laughs> Cheap plug. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. We'll get to that, mate. We'll get to that. Don't worry, I'm not going to forget. I got a note about that. <laughs> um, I mean, basically, we get to a scenario where the the Daleks turn on everybody, including Davros. Yeah, and the Doctor. <sighs> Effectively, the Doctor has failed at the end of the episode, hasn't he? He's not done what the, the the Time Lord has sent him to do. If you look at it very black and white, he's not ticked the box with regards to completing his mission. Mm. But at the same time, he's set them back a long time because there's a handful of Daleks left. And they're trapped in a bunker. <laughs> they're trapped in a bunker. There's the fowls have blown up certain parts of this bunker that are producing Daleks to stall the process uh, and so on. It, ultimately, th- this war between Fowls and Khaleds has kind of come to an end, I guess. The mm. Daleks are kind of stalled a bit. They still exist, but they don't They don't go out at that exact moment and wreak havoc, I suppose. It's, the Doctor's bought them a thousand years to prepare. Yeah, so I suppose it's kind of it's kind of like a lot of things happen, but then at the very last minute, literally at the last minute of the episode, the last minute of the whole six part serial, mm. you kind of think a lot of things have happened, but at the same time, nothing massive has actually happened to alter the timeline. I suppose. It's a great story with, that doesn't really impact anything in the timeline other than mm. moving it back slightly. Yeah, yeah. Which is, it's kind of, it's half a victory, I suppose. I mm. think it, it's more that the Doctor's done what he needs to do to get his TARDIS back than... Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on that out. note as well, the, the fine, literally the final note I have on, on my pages and pages of notes, literally the very last one at the very bottom simply says, that time ring is bollocks. <laughs> it was a bit, wasn't it? Yeah, because ultimately at the end they say, okay, grab hold of the time ring and they all kind of spin around and they put a 1970s effect on it and they all drift away and that's where the show ends. That's where the part six of this this season, this serial, sorry, ends, I guess, Dan. It was, um, it was missing. It was just, all it was missing was a comedy. Wee! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brilliant. <laughs> uh, so in summary, my friend, what, what are your... Your thoughts overall, then, in your first proper encounter with Tom Baker um, and um, classic Who with, with a six-parter story, I guess. This was everything I wanted it to be. Uh, to be quite honest, it far exceeded expectations. It far exceeded expectations. As I said before, I was expecting it to be a bit more Saturday morning cartoon okay. than it actually was. I didn't expect things to get that heavy with the... Uh, the Nazi parallels and and the darker moments, you know, like Sarah Jane getting threatened with being dropped from a rocket, the headshot. Mm. 
and all the rest of it, it, it hit a lot of the same notes as Modern Who. Um, the story, just the story was fantastic. All those storylines, even the ones we didn't get a chance to talk about, weaving into everything and drawing together and then breaking apart and drawing together again by the end. Yeah, the ending left a bit to be desired because at the end of the day, we went through all that just to, just to blow the Daleks front door in. <laughs> 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 but... Yeah, really liked it. It's it's way up there in terms of Doctor Who episodes that I've watched in general. Mm-hmm. It definitely okay. definitely lives up to the hype. Ah, oh, great stuff. I'm I'm glad. I'm really glad. I I bloody loved it. There was enough there for me to remember why I loved it so much when I was younger, mm-hmm. but also there was enough there that I'd forgotten about and maybe even not noticed when, when i was when i don't remember when, I, when i'm 10 years old i'm thinking davros is an evil bastard and the daleks need to be stopped i'm not thinking about genocides and and the nazis and similarities with real life atrocities at all so as an adult it's made me think uh, of things that weren't apparent when i was 10 or 9 or whenever it was i watched it whatever age i was so mm-hmm. i got I, I got the nostalgia side of it from watching something I remember watching with a friend of mine when I was a, when I was a kid, I got the the love of Doctor Who from it as well because it's a great Doctor Who story. But mm. also, I got so much more from it as an adult with stuff that I hadn't even noticed about this this before. So, yeah, this is an absolute hit for me, for my friend. This this is a, this is a hit. I love it. Yeah, and it's another fine example. There's, there's a lot of talk with modern Who about the Doctor being a positive role model mm-hmm. uh, for children pre Jodie Whitt- uh, pre Jodie Whittaker. Um, there was a lot of talk of the Doctor being a positive role model uh, for young boys uh, and young men. Um, I don't think that's changed. You can still look up to the Doctor, regardless of who's playing the Doctor, as long as the Doctor is written as the Doctor. Um, And this just proves that that's been there all along. You know, that whole, all the stuff we've mentioned about shaping morality and those questions that it raises, it's planting those, whether you know it or not, it's planting those ideas in your head and making you reflect even years later, and shaping how and influencing how you think about the world and how you see right and wrong. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I, I thought this was fantastic. I'd happily go back and watch it again. When I finished watching it, I wanted mm. to watch the next episode to see where we went next. Um, I, I thought it was fantastic, Dan. I really enjoyed it. So, And I'm really glad as well you enjoyed it too, because that's the biggest thing for me when I'm picking these classic who stories with what limited knowledge i can remember about them don't get me wrong i'm gonna end up picking some stinkers whether whether intentionally or not it's gonna happen i can see it coming but i'm i'm really glad that you enjoyed looking back i want this kind of this this 13 14 part season that we're doing now to be very much from a positive standpoint looking there's so many doctor who stories out there if we're picking one story per doctor why would we pick anything crap to start off? <laughs> exactly. I'm not going to sit here and pick the uh, pick that god awful Christmas special with Catherine Jenkins in it and uh, and uh, what's his face? I can't remember Ooh. who it even was now, but it was just terrible. Yeah, there we go. So then, um, next week is we've done classic Who this week. We're doing new Who next week. Which Doctor are we looking at, my friend? Right, we're sticking with the Dalek theme. Okay. And we're going to Christopher Eccleston, and it will be the 2005 episode Dalek. Ah, excellent. Simply titled that. I don't know if you want me to give you a little bit of a taster of what of how the show sets up or anything like that. Or should we yeah, just say please carry next on. Yeah, no, no, please carry on. Yeah, give give uh, the listeners a rough idea as well. I mean, I think you'd be able to find it. 
maybe via Netflix, maybe via the BBC iPlayer if people want to watch along. Any classic Who or old Who, you need to be trying to find on BritBox if you're doing it legally, shall we say. And um, <laughs> a subscription service, well, worth it. I, I got BritBox, it's great, just for watching old Who, basically. Um, the new Who, and the, the stuff that we're going to be looking at next week, for example, I believe it's even Netflix or the BBC player, but it's it's, it's only I, it's only I it's only I player now. Okay, which is which is again, it don't cost any money as long as you've got a TV license. So, and even if you don't, um, but, <laughs> <laughs> we do not condone that. <laughs> yeah, so give us a rough idea of, of this tale we're going to be checking out next week then. So as I mentioned before, the TARDIS goes on one of its uh, on one of its detours. It follows a distress beacon. Uh, the Doctor and Rose land in Utah in 2012. Um, they find themselves in a museum of alien artifacts, and they're trying to find the source of the signal. And I'll give you ten guesses what that source is based on the title of the episode. Yes, I can remember this. Um, I've, I've not watched it back since it aired, as far as I can remember. I can remember there's certain aspects to this episode that I just thought, why Christopher Eccleston is amazing. So I'm really looking forward to going back and, and checking this out. Yeah, I can't wait for you to watch it again. I've uh, watched it, like I said, probably about six or seven times mm-hmm. uh, since it aired. So I know it quite well. Um, can't wait to get into it. Yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, before we depart then, Dan, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online and then also whereabouts they can find more of your brilliant content? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21 and you can also find me uh, on uh, Unbooking the Territory, which is a wrestling podcast I do with uh, UTT Rob. In the first season, we looked at the highest and lowest TV uh, episode, rated TV episodes of Monday Night Raw and Monday Nitro. Season two, we're looking at basically anything to do with first and last. Could be the first episode of a certain promotion, somebody's debut, the last episode of a promotion, the last appearance of somebody, whatever you can think of as long as it uh, links into those. Uh, you can also find me on the monthly pay-per-view reviews uh, on That Night is Wrestling podcast, which is now part of the Primetime Conversations YouTube channel. Uh, so head over there. We're in the, uh, the That Night is Wrestling podcast playlist, but go check James out. Uh, he's a fantastic interviewer and is branching out into the wider world of uh, TV, movies and music interviewing. Yeah, it's all great stuff. It is. It's all brilliant stuff. I really enjoy UTT as well. It's awesome. Uh, you can find me at SJP Words on Twitter, uh, where you can find links to any of the other shows I, I work on. The Waiting Room, which is a Quantum Leap podcast. Um, Chain Wrestling that I do live on Monday nights with, with Magsy. Uh, you can find all the Twitter links there and then show links via that. But most importantly, you can find this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at the Doctor Who pod. And it is exactly as it sounds. T-H-E-D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D at the Doctor Who pod. So chuck us a follow, uh, get involved, message the show. Let us know what you think about, you know, who's your favorite doctor, who's your favorite companions, who, what stories you'd like us to look at. Anything at all. Drop us a tweet, drop us a message. Um I've really, really enjoyed this this first conversation looking at Classic Who, Dan. I'm really looking forward to uh, going forward and, and doing some more, my friend. Yeah, can't wait. Really enjoyed it, mate. Once again, thank you for uh, for inviting me to be part of this. Um, I hope we're off to a flyer. 
I think yeah. we are. I've enjoyed it. So that's all yeah. that really matters, isn't it? Um, so- <laughs> <laughs> Okie doke. No worries. Uh, once again, thank you so much to Borna Matosic for the theme music to the show. Go check out his stuff everywhere, YouTube, Twitter, etc., etc. And we will speak to you next week. Dan, I'll speak to you next week, my friend. See you next week, buddy. Bye-bye. these two strands together and the Daleks are finished. Have I that right? To destroy the Daleks, you can't doubt it. But I do. You see, some things could be better with the Daleks. Many future worlds will become allies just because of their fear of the Daleks. It isn't like that. But the final responsibility is mine. And mine alone. Listen, if someone who knew the future pointed out a child to you and told you that that child would grow up totally evil, to be a ruthless dictator who would destroy millions of lives. Could you then kill that child? We're talking about the Daleks, the most evil creatures ever invented. You must destroy them. You must complete your mission for the Time Lords. Do I have the right? Simply touch one wire against the other, and it's it. The Daleks cease to exist. Hundreds of millions of people Thousands of generations can live without fear, in peace, and never even know the word Dalek. Then why wait? If it was a disease or some sort of bacteria you were destroying, you wouldn't hesitate. But if I kill, wipe out a whole intelligent life form, then I become like them. I'd be no better than the Daleks. Think of all the suffering there'll be if you don't do it.